Growing up, my dad read the newspaper every morning. And when he was reading the newspaper, usually me and my younger brother Nick, we would fight over the comic section or the word search inside of it. You know, just like kids do today. Well, a member of our church heard this story and very lovingly gifted me a subscription to a local newspaper that comes to my house every morning. And so now me and Judah look at the paper together. But the experience is a little different. So first, when we open up the paper, we will look at every page to see if we can find any pictures of cars together. <laughs> but then on some days, Judah has a, uh, a new newspaper activity that he likes. It's called tear the paper up into tiny pieces and scatter it all over the living room floor. And then Simon has a game he likes to play called try and eat the little pieces to keep dad on his toes. So it's not entirely like my childhood, but memories nonetheless. And you know, when Judah's done playing that game, I'll step back and look at the living room and I'll think to myself that it's, it's just a mess. So I'll look at Judah and say, you know, it's time for us to pick all of this trash up. And on some days he'll look at me and say, why? Tell him because the living room's a mess. There's paper everywhere. And he'll say, why? I don't know, Judah, because you decided to tear the paper up everywhere. Why? And I'll say, I don't know. You thought it was fun. And let's just start picking it up. And you know what? It is fun, though. It's fun to do that with him. But it certainly makes a mess. If you're like me, maybe there are some days where you take a step back and you look at our world today and you can't help but think, this place is just a mess. You look around and our world is so broken and it's so hopeless and there are people just trying to numb the pain. And they'll do anything they can to numb the pain. They'll turn to drugs, they'll turn to alcohol, they'll turn to anything that they can. The CDC recently reported that drug overdose deaths in America have quadrupled since 1999. Not only that, but you don't have to look far today to find reports of increases in crime and evil and hatred all throughout the world. The UN dropped a report not too long ago showing that approximately 50 million people today live in modern-day slavery, whether it's in some form of forced labor or forced marriage. That equates to one in every 150 people in the world. So there are these times where we stand back and we look at this mess and we just say, why? Why are things this way? Why is our world so broken? Now, the Bible has answers for us. We're going to see those together as we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 this morning. As we do, we will see why, why the world is so messed up. So I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn there with me, Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you and turn in those to page 911, page 911, Romans chapter 1. And I'll let you know that this in many ways, not an easy passage to deal with. There are some truths that are very bluntly revealed to us, but, but when we understand the wicked state of the world and what led to it, then believers will understand why it's so important for us to share the gospel. So let's look together at Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's stop right here for just a few minutes. So God's wrath and God's holy judgments have long been revealed against this wicked world. But the world persists in rejecting him. Uh, The judgments of God have caused many to say, well, God is unloving, or they'll say that he's unkind. Some will even go as far as to claim that God is evil. That's interesting because when we read stories of earthly judges letting criminals go free or turning a blind eye to evil, we would say that those judges are wicked men. But that's exactly the kind of judge that people hope and want God to be. They want God to turn a blind eye to their evil deeds. But if God is loving, if he is just, if he is righteous, then he must judge sin. See, the problem isn't God's judgment. The problem is the world's response to God. The world has suppressed the truth of God, despite the fact that God has made it obvious through what they see. God's very creation, it declares his greatness, his power, his existence. Think of it this way. Uh, When archaeologists find ancient paintings in caves, they don't assume that those came about naturally. They go to great lengths to learn about whoever made them. Yet mankind looks at the starry sky, the complexity of the human body, and the beauty of this world, and they say, "Ah, these things, they they came into being by random chance, a mere accident. The world will say that to attribute these things to God, it's silly, it's weak-minded, it's foolish. Because, they say, science helps us understand all these things, so we can dismiss the idea of God. Is that true, though? Now, truthfully, increased scientific discovery showed just the opposite. Uh, Let me give you a few examples of things that researchers and scientists have realized over the years as discoveries of God's creation have piled up. Let's start with the universe. Fred Hoyle, he was the atheist astronomer who was credited with coining the term Big Bang, he studied the properties necessary for carbon to create life in the universe, and this is what Fred Hoyle said. He said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Stephen Hawking, who I'm sure many of us have heard of, Stephen Hawking was a renowned scientist and atheist, and he was talking about the universe, and he said, the laws of physics seem to have been specifically designed for us. He said, if any of about 40 physical qualities had more than slightly different values, life as we know it could not exist. Either atoms would not be stable, or they wouldn't combine into molecules, or the stars wouldn't form heavier elements, or the universe would collapse before life could develop, and so on. All right, what about life on Earth? Science continually finds an increasing number of things necessary for life to exist on this planet. Things like the size of the planet, the distance of the sun and the moon from Earth, all sorts of things like that. And in his book, 
miracles, Eric Metaxas, who was a Christian, he wrote that by the year 2001, the number of fine-tuned characteristics necessary for life had leapt to 150 of those characteristics. He said, when we do the calculations, we discover that the odds of a planet supporting life are less than 1 in 10 to the 73rd power. That's a 1 with 73 zeros behind it. Metaxas went on to say that when you take the estimated number of planets and bring that into the calculation, the odds of any planet in our universe supporting life are 1 in 10 to the 50th power. Now, in case you're visual like I am, we're going to go ahead and, Trevor, if you put that up. So that is the, the representation of that. One in whatever that number is right there on the screen. Those would be the odds of a planet in our universe supporting life. All right, but what about on the human level? Francis Crick, one of the scientists who discovered DNA, he estimated the odds that intelligent life exists on Earth as a result of non-directed processes to be around 1 in 10 to the 2 billionth power. We couldn't put that on the screen. By the way, Francis Crick, he was an atheist. So many people see the glory of God's creation, see his obvious hand in it, yet not believe in him. Paul says that they suppress the truth. People are without excuse, but you see, people don't want God. They don't want him to be real, because if he is real, that changes things. Well, that changes how we have to live. It changes who we're responsible to. That changes everything. The evidence is all around them, but they don't want to accept or believe it. They refuse to glorify God. And the result of that foolishness is that their hearts are darkened. And this is what that darkness leads to. Verse 22. Paul says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. The world claims wisdom and superiority over Christians, who they call weak-minded religious fools. But the truth is they've simply put their belief in worthless things. Throughout history, some people have worshipped nature, the very things God Himself created. Or they created their own idols of wood and precious metals, thinking that these things could answer or rescue them. Today, people have all sorts of idols, uh, even if it's not something made by their own hands. Some people idolize science. It's that which gives their life purpose and meaning. Or they idolize their possessions. They idolize their significant other or some person in their life. They put themselves on a pedestal. They put all their hope, all their desire into these things other than God. See, all people have faith in something or someone. Even the atheists I mentioned earlier. For example, Stephen Hawking, he held that the universe came from nothing. But you see, that can't be substantiated by science or logic or observation. No, that comes by faith. Humans inevitably have faith, and we are all driven towards worship. 
If we do not believe in and worship God, then we will believe in and worship whatever God our mind creates. That's what the world has done. They rejected the one true God, and as they entered the darkness of their own minds, they began to worship false gods, thinking that these things could satisfy them or give them purpose or save or deliver. And this this has long been the path of mankind. This is not just the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans we read about in history who created all these gods and goddesses. No, mankind has long put their hope into worthless things instead of turning to the one true God. I have known people who had the truth of God right in front of them. They had the gospel, they had the scripture. Some of them who even acknowledged that these things were true. And then they threw it all away so that they could chase after money or sexual immorality or the stuff of life. And they tried to find all their meaning and all their satisfaction and all their purpose in those things. They suppressed the truth of God. They fell into the darkness of their own thinking and they set up these idols. And as people follow man-made idols, as people worship themselves, as they reject God, this is what happens. Look at verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. If you don't have a heavy heart reading those things, then you need to wake up, believer, because this list describes our world to a T. And this list, this isn't even half of it. Uh, these are just a few of the depraved things that mankind has fallen into. By the way, I feel it's very important to note at this point that a, a popular excuse that people make in our world today concerning sins such as homosexuality is to say, well, you know, it's never mentioned in the New Testament. Now you know that that is not the case. It's actually described here. And these, these are the reasons why the world doesn't want God. These are the reasons they suppress the truth of him. Because God calls these things sin. These are wrong in his sight, and people, people would rather fulfill their desires. So why? Why is the world like this? Why, why do they do these things? Why are the feet of people quick to rush to evil? Why are they filled with greed and malice? Why do they hate God? Why are they loveless and selfish? And why do they, they fail to show mercy? Never finding satisfaction in sin, they push the boundaries more and more to the point that they invent ways of doing evil. Yet, as we know, misery loves company. So our world approves of those who practice sin with them. They celebrate sin. We see this as our world dedicates days and months to sexual sin, 
People honor criminals. We turn a blind eye to evil. Why is our world so deeply disturbed? Why is our world so messed up? Believers, we have to realize that the world is not this way by accident. The world is not this way by creation. The world is this way by choice. People choose to reject God, to turn to idols, and to chase after sin. So our world is messed up. It's broken. It's depraved. It's lost. But then comes the question, why is it so important that we know all these things? Paul's writing to Christians. Why? Why are we being told this? Church, when we grasp the depth of mankind's rebellion against God, the fact that all these people around us are walking in spiritual darkness, living in the filth of sin, headed for eternal wrath, then, then, when we grasp that, then we should be able to grasp that our world desperately needs the gospel, that they need to know only Jesus Christ can forgive them and can lift them out of the depths of their sin and can bring them into the light, make them right in God's sight. We, we should want to tell them that. We should want to tell them that Jesus Christ came to this messed up world so that he could take the wrath and judgment we deserve for our sin. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And he died on the cross even for those who stubbornly reject him, who are intent on evil and rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus died and rose from the dead so that through faith in him we could be set free from bondage to sin. So that we could be forgiven of evil, pardoned from hell, and given eternal life. The world needs to hear this, and we need to tell them. But here's the thing. The world will not understand the love of Christ and their deep need for a Savior until they see what they need to be saved from. Uh, until they realize that they are in sin that is deserving of wrath, that they are chasing after idols that cannot save, that they are rejecting Jesus Christ. Until they see this, they'll never be able to grasp what Jesus is offering them. Think of it this way. Imagine that you are on a, on a train and you're sitting there and you're going to get off in three stops and all of a sudden a man runs up to you and he says, listen, quick, you have got to get off on the very next stop. Your life depends on it. In fact, if you get off, I promise you that you'll be safer, happier, you're going to have a better life. And then the man takes off. You probably think that guy was nuts. You're not going to get off at the next stop just because somebody said that to you. No, you're going to keep going the way that you had planned to go. But if you were sitting there and that man ran up to you and said, please listen, you have got to get off at the next stop because a bridge is out ahead after that stop. And if you stay on the train, you're going to fall to your death with everybody else. And if that man was able to show you the proof and say, here's evidence, a note from the station master saying that this is exactly what's going to happen, well, then you probably take the warning pretty seriously. You'd probably tell the person sitting next to you, hopefully everybody in that train car. If you really cared about people, you'd run from car to car just like the other guy telling everybody. Believers, I mentioned last week that so many of us, we want to tell people how to be saved, which means that many Christians are quick to say something like, oh, pray this prayer and give your life to Jesus and things will be better and he'll save you and you'll be happier. Maybe a few people will listen if that's what we say, but a lot of people will think that we're nuts. Because perhaps for them, life is going pretty well. Why should they give their life to Jesus? They're just going to keep going the way that they always have. If we never... Tell them why they need to be saved. 
showing them the evidence of sin and the wrath that's coming, if we never tell them what they need to be saved from, and that is the judgment of hell, if we never explain to them the role Jesus plays in this equation by dying on the cross for our sins, well, then the message is going to sound like nonsense to them. Like yelling at people to take a stop they don't intend to take, many gospel presentations are devoid of key truths. The truth that sin deserves wrath and judgment. And if they continue heading on that same path, that is exactly what they will find in the end, is wrath and judgment in hell. You see, if we don't share the truth of sin in hell, people won't know what they need Jesus to save them from. In which case, they're going to continue on going through life the way that they always have. They won't understand why Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Those things will be meaningless. And they'll remain as lost as when we found them. See, church, the same way that we must recognize the problem of sin in the world so that we would have a burden for the gospel, the lost person must recognize the problem of sin in their lives so that they would recognize their need for the truth of the gospel. We need to stop preaching the cure without first pointing people to the disease and the consequence of it. As you probably noticed at the beginning this morning, my oldest son is in the why phase of his life, which very many of you have encouraged me will last a very long time. <laughs> Everything for him is why. Sometimes I'll explain something and then he'll still look at me and ask why again. But there are a lot of things that are important for us to know why in this life. Why is our world messed up? It's because in rejecting Jesus, the world is run to sin and idolatry. Our world desperately needs Jesus. So church, this is why we must share the gospel. And unbelievers need to understand why their sin is a problem so that they can understand why Jesus is the solution. And church, we, we need to tell them. So my encouragement to everyone here who is a follower of Jesus Christ this morning is as we begin to close and as we sing that final invitation song is to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to reveal to you who some of the lost people are in your life that you could be sharing the gospel with. Ask him that he would give you the boldness to share the truth of the gospel with them. Remember, only by hearing the bad news of sin and hell can the good news of forgiveness and salvation truly make sense. Don't, don't be afraid to share the whole message. Our world desperately needs it. And the next time you take a step back, and you see how broken and messed up our world has become. Church, remember this truth. Only Jesus Christ can rescue us from the mess of sin we have made in our lives. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can rescue people from sin and hell. I pray that we will see just how deeply our world needs him, and I pray that we would be faithful to share the whole message of the gospel with others. And I'm praying we each have the opportunity to do that this week. But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, never gone to Him for forgiveness, I need you to understand what Paul meant when he said that those who do these things are deserving of death. You see, we're all going to physically die one day. Now, Paul is talking about something much more than that. He's talking about eternal death. That's what it means to be separated from Jesus Christ forever in a place of torment called hell. That is what we deserve, all of us, for our sin. You see... We can't make up for sin. Going to church won't do it. Doing enough good works won't earn your way into heaven. 
We are hopeless on our own. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It was to pay the penalty for you and me and for everyone for the sins that we had committed. And Jesus was buried, and three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is who he said he is. No mere man. He was no good, simply good teacher like everybody tries to say. No, he's the son of God. He's the only one who can forgive us. He's the only one who can pardon us from hell and give us the eternal life we so desperately need. And friend, if you have never received those things, if you've never given your life to Jesus, please understand that the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I pray that if you have never done that, that you make that decision before you leave. In fact, you can make that decision right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And friend, if that's true for you, if Jesus is not your Savior, but you want to change that today, please know that during this final song, you can come up and talk to me, ask me whatever questions you have. You can pray with me. But if you're ready to make that decision right now, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. So know that no matter what you have done or what you have gone through or what you're going through right now, you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer. And you can admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. But that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he powerfully rose from the dead. And friend, ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to be your savior. Give him your life. And I promise if you go to the Lord in prayer by faith with these things, he'll save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made this decision, it's easy for us to stand back and see how broken our world has become and then just to sit there. But we have this message that people need to hear that, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for them. That Jesus Christ wants to forgive them of their sin, wants to rescue them from hell, wants to give them eternal life. There's so many people who don't know that. Father, I have a feeling that for a lot of us, we have people in our lives who don't know that. So I pray right now, Father, as we begin to end this service, that you would lay on every believer's heart here who we can be sharing the gospel with this week. I pray that when we leave, you'd give us the opportunity as we go about our day to do just that and help us to be faithful to share the whole message so that people would know what they need to be saved from and why Jesus came and why he is the only solution. Father, we pray that in all these things you'd be glorified. I thank you for all those here who have made that decision, who have given their lives to Jesus, this body of believers. Help us to be united in faith and love and the pursuit of you. And I pray that if there is anyone here who has still not made that decision to give their life to Jesus Christ, that they wouldn't leave before asking somebody about that, before praying with someone, talking to someone. Father, we love you. But you proved long ago when you sent your son that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.